I'll read 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. On that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David my father, and have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David my father be established, for you have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now give me wisdom and knowledge, that it may go out and come in before this people. For who can judge this great people of yours? Then God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, which is truth. In our culture, in our society, uh, often even in our histories that are written, our lies. And yet we thank you, Father, for the word of truth that transforms our lives and leads us into a sure future. We give you thanks for who you are and for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Solomon offered a thousand animals at his sacrifice here. And so he was obviously very wealthy. We've talked about that at length in this church at times past. And yet he was, I think, also generous and faithful. I think that's evident from what happened during this period. God appeared to Solomon, and this is a miraculous thing. I mean, who of us wouldn't want God to appear to us, reinforce our faith, invigorate our faith? He appeared to Solomon twice, soon after the start of his reign, and that's what we have here, and then again later at the uh, dedication of the temple. God's Holy Spirit filled that place, and then he appeared to Solomon. And here, listen to what it is that he says to Solomon in Verse 7, on that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask, what shall I give you? Ask in the New King James is followed by an exclamation point, meaning that he is being told. Ask, he's not giving him an option, he's telling him, you need to ask me for something. Now, who of us would be prepared to answer that question if God just suddenly showed up one night as a vision to us or in reality to us? Have we thought through what it is that we most want on this earth, what it is that we would ask God of if given the opportunity? And so he answers the question. He immediately appears to say, you have shown great mercy to David my father, have made me king in his place. Now, O oh Lord, let your promise to David my father be established. So he begins with this preface. We know what he asks. He asks for wisdom. And yet he begins by declaring 
to God what God himself has already promised. He cites this promise that he had made to David, and so let's read that promise. It's from 2 Samuel 7. I'll read verses 12 to 16. He's uh, speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. So the promise is that David would have a son to take over the kingdom, and it's mentioned that it will be forever. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now, oftentimes when I've read that over the years, I've wondered, uh, Solomon's kingdom wasn't forever. It was a long time. It was a good kingdom, but Solomon himself allowed it really to be broken into two uh, through his oppression of the people. And when Rehoboam, his son, took over, God ensured that it would divide apart. So when we read of Solomon's kingdom being forever or the, the David's son's kingdom being forever, we know now in the New Testament era, that this is referring to Christ. Yes, there's an explicit reference to Solomon as being this king, and this promise is to David and his posterity. Yet, Peter in Acts also refers to this as being a promise of the coming of Christ. And it's really in Christ that we have this kingdom lasting forever. Now again, I ask, if God came to you and asked you what you wanted, would you be prepared to answer? Solomon seemed to be prepared. He, he gave a fairly good answer. Yet, could it have been better? Could Solomon have given a better answer? When that show on, was on a few years ago, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? There is always something that's asked, if you remember, if you ever watched it. The contestant would say something, and the answer isn't necessarily given very confidently. And the host would say, is that your final answer? So did Solomon have a chance to give a final answer, to really say something, and then, and then maybe perfect it? At the Presbyterian meeting Wednesday, uh, if you happen to be here, Matt Clark was here. He's an elder from South Carolina. And he stood, and I'm not, I don't remember the context explicitly, but he spoke of us requiring knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and prudence. And we, I know Phil has preached on that here before. These four things, they build on one another. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom, prudence. Solomon asked for two of them. God granted him two of them and this wealth and honor. But we all know, given what happened, that what Solomon appeared to lack was resistance to temptation and prudence, the inability to make wise decisions. He was an extremely wise man, but he didn't always act wisely. And that's the nature of us being human. We don't always act wisely. We sometimes miss one or components of all four of those things that we really require to make good, sound, wise decisions. 
knowledge. You have to know things. They have to be based on truth. They have to be based on fact. They can't be based on lies. Understanding. Not only do you know these things, but you know how they fit together. You see the bigger picture. Wisdom. Now you're getting to it. Now you're getting to it. Now you're seeing, okay, this is what people do in order to make wise decisions. But you're still not there yet, are you? You're still not necessarily acting prudently. And that's where we really must get to. We must get to the prudence aspect of this, this pillar that we want to climb. Solomon multiplied wives to himself. He hoarded gold and he built chariot cities and had many, many chariots. All three of those things Samuel had written as things that bad kings would do. And so in respects, Solomon, though he was wise, understanding, wealthy, powerful, honored, he was, he became a bad king because he didn't act prudently. He didn't resist temptation. He didn't follow God's word. Now, what did God say here? I love the answer. He, Solomon gives his response to God's question. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people for who can judge this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, because this was in your heart and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And it goes on to say that he was the wisest king that ever lived. And I believe that wasn't just in Israel. That was the wisest man on earth ever. So listen to how it's phrased, though. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. So see, God had the ability to either grant Solomon's request or withhold the granting of that request. God, he owns it all. He does it all. Now, you can't help but think, if you really broaden your perspective on what's being said here, you can't help but think God is like a fairy godfather here. God is like a genie that can grant your request. He even says, what do you want? Like the genie says in the many, many stories written about this. Now, genie is from an old, old Islamic word, jinn. And the jinn in Islamic culture were those that were cast from heaven supernatural beings that God cast out because they were mischievous. And then they began to enact their mischief on the earth amongst people. And so the stories in Islamic culture are all about men being shrewd enough to deceive a jinn, to defeat them at their own game. Then in the 18th century, a Frenchman, and his name was Antoine Galland, he translated this story of the Arabian Nights into French, and then it began to invade our popular Western culture. He translated the word jinn, though, into genie, and he kind of softened some of those rough edges that jinns had for working mischief on the earth. And the genie became this much more tame, much more friendly, much more amenable to good, doing good things for humans as opposed to wreaking havoc in their lives. And yet you can't help but see, though, there is a corollary. I believe all of these stories of jinn and genies are based on what was asked of Solomon. 
ask, what do you want me to give you, God said. And then he gave him exactly what he asked for and more because he appreciated the humility that Solomon had exhibited. So see, what would your answer be if God asked you? Because you know why. You know what I'm going to say. We all can ask. God tells us, I just preached about it a few weeks ago, ask. What will you ask God? Because God has ultimate power in the universe, and yet we do not have high hopes for what God can do, either through us or apart from us. And we do, I think, want to pray, God, please do it, but not through me. You know, send someone else, have someone else do it. But yet our God can do anything, anything. And yet I don't believe that we act like that. We don't, we don't live with that type of faith that God can and will do above all that we ask or think. So we have to expand our concept of God. We have to realize that God is here and he fills our minds with plans. There's a proverb. It's proverb uh, 1921. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. So we may have many plans in our hearts. We have, may have many things that we may want to accomplish. And yet part of our challenge from God is to discern what it is that God wants from us. He made you. He implanted every thought into you. What is it that he wants you to do? Who is it that he wants you to be? Is that a noble goal? Are you really aspiring to all that God calls you to be? Because we ought to. That should be what we want. As a boy, I can remember uh, my parents were very, I, we were five kids, and yet I can still remember these gifts that my parents would give me. I was in some type of a club, and I would get this thing delivered to me at the house, and it was just a block of white stuff, a little rectangular block, and they give you a little tool, and you sculpt it. You're a sculptor now. You know, I'm a six-year-old sculptor. So I couldn't wait to get that thing. I'd, I'd get it, and you'd, you'd carve all this stuff away, and there is something in that rock, in that plastic block, because the stuff you chip away is much softer. And then you eventually see what it is you're getting at. And it's a, it was always a dinosaur. It was some dinosaur club that my parents enrolled me in. But I was so excited to get that, to see what it was buried in that block. We are, in a sense, those blocks. We have God's goals that he's given us embedded in ourselves, we must seek that out. You, you chip away at it. You carve away at it. God, what is it you want me to do? When you immerse yourself in the Word, when you pray, that's what you're seeking. It's a beautiful thing to know the Lord, to know that you have a purpose, and to know where you're going when you're done with this earth. But you are on this earth. So we're not here for ourselves. We're here for God. What do you want us to do, God? So see, God asks us, what do you want? What could Solomon have said instead of what he said? Who am I to answer that question, God? Give me what I need, not what I want. 
So I think all of us need to have the wisdom to answer that question in the manner that best suits where God is taking you. But you need to know. God wants you to know. You need to figure it out. You are not just acted upon in this equation. You are an actor in this equation. And so I encourage you, when we come to this table, we are seeking God's grace to accomplish what it is that he's giving us to do. Do you have aspirations? Have you discovered what they are? And so I pray that if you are confused or befuddled or not really sure, that that's what you set your purpose to do. Figure it out, and God will answer. He will give you the desires of your heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for asking us this question, for asking Solomon this question, and we thank you for giving us the opportunity to really think about it. You are an awesome, almighty God that can do anything and everything. If only we know what it is that we want. Father, I thank you so much for the prayer that Pastor Kaiser just said. Lord, that is a prayer that we all want. We live at a very evil time, and we don't want evil. We don't want evil in our hearts or in our culture. And so we pray that you would give us this desire of our heart to not just escape from evil, but to conquer evil on your behalf in our hearts and in our culture. We ask you now to bless uh, this table to our ability to do this, Lord. We thank you for your presence with us and in us and in this table. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.